Focus on the Family Canada's Hope Restored Marriage Intensive Program is a proven program designed to save couples from the brink of divorce. For over 15 years, Hope Restored Marriage Intensives have helped more than 4,500 couples, and over 80% of those surveyed are still together two years after attending. If you or someone you know is facing a crisis in their marriage, please call Focus on the Family Canada today at 1-833-999-HOPE or visit hoperestoredcanada.ca to find out more. And in my mind, in the universe where everything and everyone revolved around me, my dad was at the center of most of the conflict, my stepdad. Um, It seemed like he was unreasonable, that I couldn't do anything right, that he was always angry, and I was just done. And so I decided I was going to run away. At least I thought I would. And so I started stuffing my backpack with various sundry items, like the $10 I had, because that was going to (laughs) help. That'll go a long way. Right? That's Jesse Manassian describing just some of the challenges that teens face within the family uh, in the context of relationships. And as a parent, I'm sure you've observed uh, some of that teenage angst in your home or, hang on, it's coming. (laughs) Uh, Jesse is back with us today on Focus on the Family, and your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller. John, last time we had a great conversation with Jesse about family dynamics, as you mentioned, and how parents and teens can kind of better navigate uh, these issues like independence and bad attitude and uh, maybe the imperfect reality of family life. Uh, You know, so often we expect perfection, and you're not going to get that. You're going to have something on a continuum that's good to poor. Uh, Perfection, I don't think, is on that continuum. Uh, These problems happen. It's that rebelliousness and, uh, you know, the gentle stuff. This is a program for that family 101. It's not where you have serious um, and possible uh, disorders that you might be dealing with. And I would encourage you, if you're questioning, if you do, if your teen is in a place that's more at risk in terms of their behavior, call us and we'll, we'll go deeper with you in that regard. And we have programs and resources that can help in that space. But for this, this is just the normal stuff where we all giggle about teen attitude and parent attitude. And if you missed the program last time, I'd get it. It was so fun. And Jesse was so vulnerable with us. I think we were pretty vulnerable too, John. But that's where life is at. And we all have at this table, we all have teen kids. And Mm -hmm. uh, I think we're living the dream right now. And we can uh, offer the CD to you, Jesse's great book, Family, How to Love Yours and Help Them Like You Back. Not love you back necessarily, just like you back. Uh, We've got all of that and a link over to her website, Life, Love, and God. Uh, Just swing by our website, focusonthefamily.ca, to get started. Jesse, welcome back to Focus. It is so good to be here with you It was so fun last time. (laughs) I so enjoyed that and very practical. That's what I love about it. Uh, Things that both parents and teens can do to help the relationship through these turbulent years. You know, one parent said to me uh, a while back, and I really love this, that they, they enjoyed every stage. And that's my goal. I want to enjoy the toddler years. I want to enjoy the terrible twos. I want to enjoy the those middle years of yeah. six, seven, eight. Oh, how those years are so nice. <laughs> Daddy, you're awesome, Daddy. We love you, Daddy. <laughs> Stroke our ego. <laughs> then you get into adolescence and then the teen years. But they can be very enjoyable years. You connect in a different way. Uh, but it doesn't have to be a downer. There probably will be more tension, more independence, 
more conversation around, I need more space, Dad, won't you trust me? Well, maybe until you do something I, I can't trust you for, right? <laughs> and we covered all those topics last time. Um, let's get back at it. Uh, communication and conflict is kind of core, and you cover that in your wonderful book, Family, How to Love Yours and Help Them Like You Back, which I so enjoy that title. Um, that communication and conflict can be challenging um, in every household. So how do we go about um, knowing we're sinful human beings? How do we, in fact, understand uh, our teens a little better? There's going to be some unhealthy habits, uh, whatever they might be, and moms and dads are going, yep, yep, that's my teen. Just fill in the blank, right? Um, but how do we how do we get started in helping to correct some of that behavior in a way that's constructive, not deconstructive mm. or destructive. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think we better preface this whole episode first by saying, I'm so thankful for your grace and the collective grace from listeners, because this is not something that I am great at either. Well, <laughs> that's that the truth conflict, of all right? experts. Oh, goodness. I mean, it's so true. Yeah. So true. I mean, we're right in the trenches with this, too, and trying to figure out. I mean, I confess in the book that I this is not something I'm super proud of, but I <laughs> tend to be a thrower. Like, there are very few things that can get me that mad. What they, does that look like exactly? Well, <laughs> let's talk about this. I probably need some counseling on this. No, I'm doing a lot lot better. I haven't thrown anything in a very longish Are these spongy time. things or hard surface? No, like hard a pot surface. of oatmeal. Against a pot the, of oatmeal? I was yeah. pregnant. There were hormones <laughs> involved. <laughs> Excuses. Oh, man. And then my cell phone one time, which I had to pay for, um, an open bag of chips, which went everywhere. That and one sounds fun, shamefully, actually. Most shamefully, I was so mad. One time I threw God's holy word at my husband. <laughs> okay. Now we're, everybody's going, what? I, oh, I know. But what's going on there? I mean, you obviously are doing better. You said that. I, I so what was better. the trigger? What the was trigger the trigger was family members who, it, there's something about living under the same roof with people 24 hours a day that <laughs> know you how to push your buttons. <laughs> Maybe just my husband and children know how to push my buttons, but it, it gets me to that point where my emotions just can feel out of control. And I've been learning through the power of the Holy Spirit how to give those to the Lord and try to stay calm and even and live out those verses in Proverbs. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Um, a gentle answer also curbs my own wrath. <laughs> so, right. you know, I'm working on all of that, but this is this is something that I'm still in process of. So mm -hmm. I don't want to come across as I've got the perfect, you know, five-step solution. But I do think scripture is so able to point out how to do life well in every area, and that includes family conflict. So um, we talk in my family about fighting fair. Like fights are pretty inevitable. Conflict is inevitable. So. Now some people go, no, but it's true. I mean, I think in a healthy situation, you're going to have disagreement. Disagreement at least. Disagreement, things that you don't appreciate about another, things that rub you the wrong way. It doesn't have to become all-out war. We can have a discussion or a fight that is constructive, where the end goal is a better understanding of each other, right? Communi for communication to take place doesn't mean that you have to agree with me. It doesn't mean that our kids have to agree that we are wise and all-knowing, but it means <laughs> that we've communicated information and we come to a better understanding of each other. And I think if we have that foundation, then we can allow um, family conflict to make us stronger as a family and as individuals. Well, that's half the battle is teaching your kids how to disagree 
in an appropriate way rather than with all the body language and the attitude. Yes. We covered, the fog of emotion. Well, the fog of emotion. Because they want to win. Silent. You want to win. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just not the best of human so characteristics. True. You, in fact, use Proverbs 12 as a, a funny but guiding way to provide wisdom, particularly for teen girls. But you call it the uh, foolish girl and the wise girl. So what in Proverbs 12 caught your attention in that regard? And then you created a table, actually, that we'll post online and people can see this. But foolish girl and wise girl, Proverbs 12. And we will add to that. It's not just foolish girl. It's foolish parents and wise parents Oh, we don't well. want to add. No, no. We, we don't <laughs> want to post that one. Okay. For all the <laughs> teens listening, we'll post the this foolish parent the rubric. one. This is the rubric for I kind of avoided that, didn't I? <laughs> Um, Right. So, I mean, all throughout Proverbs 12, we have really wise counsel for how to do communication well. And the foolish girl hates being told when she's wrong. She gets trapped by a rebellious attitude, insists my way is right. And how often as parents do we insist that our ways is are right? Uh, pretty much every day. <laughs> it's true. Maybe, maybe I should think about this because my, my kids are going to listen to this yeah. broadcast. And yeah. They're going to be like, see, mom, I told you your way's not always right. Um, She gets irritated easily and lets everyone know when she's mad. Um, She twists or exaggerates the truth, um, uses careless, mean words, plans ways to hurt others, and and creates drama. And and the antithesis of that is someone who becomes wiser by the correction of others. And I mean, it's really easy for us to say, oh, our teen should become wiser for our correction. But are we paying attention to the way that our kids are pointing out where we need to grow, even if it's not in the most respectful way? Can we mm. find that kernel of truth? Yeah. Um, a wise girl or parent gets out of trouble with an honorable, cooperative attitude, listens and learns from others, lets insults slide and doesn't take others' disagreements personally, mm. always tells the truth in loving ways, uh, uses words to bless and heal others, and finds joy in spreading peace. Wow. And that's what I want to be said yeah. of my life and the way that I communicate with my family, um, rather than how many things mom threw. <laughs> no, that yeah, the thrower. You know that one that catches me that I would think um, people struggle with, but I think for the way God has created a woman, uh, they struggle. You struggle with this. I want you to confirm this or deny it. But let let's insult slide and doesn't take others' disagreement personally. Oh, That's got to be a tough one. It's really hard for men and women, I think. But yeah, I mean to not take it personally, especially for moms. I think we and without Christ's intervention, so easily let our mothering become our identity. And so, if anyone has anything critical to say, whether it be our husband or our children, about our parenting style or what we're doing, it's very hard to disentangle that from our core. Husbands are saying amen. <laughs> I can hear it right now. <laughs> okay. I'm going to get so much criticism from this, but folks, this is where the, you know, life is real, right? You also, uh, in your book, talk about that, that conflict journey. And as I was alluding to a few minutes ago, you have those eight, nine, 10 year old years with your kids and they're just so kind to you because you can do no wrong. And you're mommy and daddy and I love you, mommy and daddy. <laughs> And you're going, this is awesome. And then 11, 12, 13, and you start to feel that conflict. Um, Talk about that dynamic, that change at that moment, because that's probably where most of us as parents begin to blow it. We Mm. begin to fail Mm. because it's been relatively smooth and it's been good. And we've done devotions together as a family. They have done the things we've wanted them to do when we generally ask them to do it. 
And now it's 1314. It's a little more rebellion we might be seeing. Uh, They're not wanting to read together. They're not wanting to study the word together, maybe. They have excuses. Maybe even, you know, church is boring. Mom and dad, come on. Do we, can we do home church? <laughs> I mean, church is boring. All those things that start to yeah. happen. How do we recognize that pattern? And what do we do to, I guess, keep them engaged? Yeah, yeah. Oh, wow, I have so many thoughts on that. <laughs> yeah. The first one being, I mean, uh, someone had told me early on, I'm so grateful for this analogy, that our goal as we're parenting, you know, at first we're kind of leading, we're up ahead, we're kind of showing them the way to go. And then as they enter kind of those tween years, they're coming up alongside us and we're kind of walking this thing together. And then as the teen years come, we're actually kind of taking a step behind and kind of pushing them out in front of us and saying, all right, you know the way, now walk in it. And that's a good thing And that's to a do. good and healthy thing. But as parents, we're we're having a really hard time with that. And I think part of it, I think part of it is the society that we've created. We think that kids are adults at 18 because they're technically adults. Right. And so we think that we have to parent intensively until they're 18. And then all of a sudden they'll magically become adults and know how to do everything. I think we need to remember, I mean, a hundred years ago, kids were pretty much adults at 13. You know, they right. were already going to work. It was, they were done with school um, and they're capable of that. And so I think we're seeing this pushback from teens of wanting more independence because they should have more independence. They should be making more decisions. And moms, we are so guilty of helicopter parenting and lawnmower parenting, trying to clear the way in front of them. And, um, and we need to let them fail, let them try and fail, let them make some of those choices and then take it with a grain of salt. Jim, I know you've said, take the long view of parenting and I couldn't agree more. I mean, for me, I have lowered my standard of what I expect for my teens as they enter those years um, from perfection down to, I just want them to know that they're loved and I want them to know where to find Jesus and to take a step back and realize they're God's kids and they're going to have to make those decisions on whether to attend church or they're going to have to make the decisions on what they're going to eat or where they're going to spend their money and who they're going to hang out with. And I'm not saying we shouldn't be involved as parents at all, but I think the pendulum has needs to swing more back to the middle and find that balance of letting them be adults before they leave our home. Um, Jesse, in your book, you have some great great advice for teens about their role as the older or younger sibling. Hmm. Now, the sibling rivalry thing, <laughs> I don't know if you guys are seeing that, but then I see it. And uh, especially if their sizes, I've got a big firstborn and a, you know, a, a modest secondborn. And those two go at it all the time. And that's normal. <laughs> but normal. Uh, speak oh, to man. that sibling rivalry and what older children need to know, what younger children need to know. When I was younger, my I had three older brothers who they had their kind of pecking order all figured out. And so when I arrived as this new fresh blood, I got the brunt of all of the torture. And there are some pretty fun and embarrassing stories about how that played out. So I, I don't expect that there will be always peace between brothers and sisters. But I do think that we need to hold our kids to a higher standard or they, they themselves Treat need each to other hold themselves better. to a higher standard, right? Yeah. So for younger siblings, they have an excellent opportunity to have someone else go first. And there's something to be said for being able to watch someone else live life and make decisions both good and bad and get to watch that and decide, is that how I want to live my life? How's that working out for that sister who decided to move in with her boyfriend? Or how is that working out for my brother who is studying really hard so that he can get good grades? And then 
make their decisions accordingly. And on the flip side, for older siblings, you have an amazing responsibility and opportunity to live out First Timothy 4.12, to be an example to the believers in your faith, in your purity, in, in your love, in your faithfulness, all those things that we're trying to grow in. Um, and I did not take that responsibility well. When I was a teenager, I sort of tolerated my younger sister's existence. She was seven years younger than I was. And because, again, the world revolved around me and it all orbited around my likes and dislikes, um, I wasn't intentional about investing into her when I was in the home with her. And it's one of the greatest regrets I have Mm. of my life. And so my encouragement for older siblings who are still in the home with their younger siblings is to take that responsibility seriously. You have such power and opportunity and influence to be able to shape a life um, if you just take the time to do that. But how often we say to the older sibling, hey, Treat your younger brother better than you're treating him. Come on. Mm-hmm. Don't speak to him that way. Um, yeah. That's not appropriate. It's almost like please and thank you. Hmm. You sometimes have to say that like a thousand times, <laughs> right? And you're going, okay, for the 1,000th time, can you not speak to your younger brother I know. That and it goes way? back to what we talked about yesterday, that we cannot be the Holy Spirit in our children's <laughs> lives. And it drives me nuts because I say those words all the time too, Jim. And Okay, that and makes me feel even better. Even though I now as an adult can look back and say, man, I really blew this amazing opportunity I had to be a good big sister. I'm watching my two daughters now play this out in front of me. And it seems like even though I know all the right things, I've written books about this, I still am having a hard time getting to the heart of my kids to be able to see the world outside of how it affects them. Well, and we have to remember as parents, it's planting those seeds and then water, Mm -hmm. water, water. And sometimes it's a 100-year plant, right? Eventually, (laughs) you're going to see that thing blossom and you're going to hear a kind word said from one sibling to the other and you're going to go, finally, (laughs) finally. This Focus on the Family broadcast will continue in just a moment. Do you have a desire to help families thrive? Named one of the best Christian workplaces in Canada, Focus on the Family Canada is looking for skilled, passionate people to join our dynamic team. We are currently looking to fill positions in marketing, digital media, and web development at our head office in Langley, B.C. If you or someone you know feels called to be part of our dynamic team, Explore current job openings today at focusonthefamily.ca slash employment. Financial Moments with Tom Copeland. Often we make investment decisions based on our own understanding or advice from others, and afterwards we pray and ask God to bless our decisions. This is contrary to God's word. Even Jesus said, Father, not my will, but yours be done. God wants us to prayerfully determine His will in the planning stage before we make any important financial decisions. God does have a plan. Jeremiah 29.11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope and a future. The key to knowing God's financial plan is to develop a close personal relationship with Jesus Christ. As you prayerfully listen for God's gentle whisper, 1 Kings 19, you should be able to sense God's leading and determine God's investment strategy. In summary, before making any major financial decision, through prayer and the study of God's Word, determine God's financial plan. To learn more, check out BibleFinance.org. Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. 
Jesse, you use a phrase in the book, mean mom syndrome. And I think I could almost say the mean dad syndrome because I know where this is going. But it's not about the parents. It's about the siblings. And tell me that dynamic where the older sibling kind of takes on that role. Yeah, I think, I mean, part of it is good. Our kids are, are part of that healthy growing up is imitating what they see in adults and sometimes for good or for bad. What I call they it see becoming bossy. Right? <laughs> I'm trying to look at the positive first. Yeah, that's but so yeah. good of you. So the, the, the problem is that, especially for girls, and I, I would imagine possibly for older boys as well, for their, they kind of take on this like, parental role, thinking that it's their job to uh, get their younger siblings into shape. Um, But for girls, I see a lot of this kind of mean mom syndrome. Like, (laughs) at least I hope that that's not how I sound. But when they take on that, because they don't have the, you know, the age of and wisdom that comes with age to be able to do it gently, they just come across as bossy and, and telling them what to do. And you should do this, you shouldn't do this. And it's kind of comical to watch sometimes because they're doing the exact same thing that they're telling their younger siblings not to do. But I think, you know, unfortunately, some kids don't have the luxury of having a parent in the home who's yes. parenting well. And so this gets a little bit trickier. But I encourage girls and boys, you, you still can take out the mean part. Even if you're forced to take on a bit of a parental role, um, you can still do it in a kind and gentle way. I'm thinking of those examples where, you know, my oldest is saying, hey, dad said you need to put your shoes yeah. over here. <laughs> And I'm sitting here thinking, yeah, but your shoes are over there. It's kind of like exactly. they got the concept, but they're still not executing exactly right. You well, know? We hope they'll get it before they have their own kids. And those poor younger siblings are just going, all right, whatever. You know, I so often see Troy just saying, yeah, okay, I got it. And he does it. And then I'm still looking at the older one going, come on, what about your shoes? Um, you talk also about that relationship between dad and teen daughter. Mm-hmm. And there's so many dynamics in that. And I think for a lot of us dads, not understood dynamics, not well enough. Um, We try to sometimes, I think, parent our daughters like we do our sons. We recognize the differences, but it it is a different tack that you need to take. Describe that. Um, You had, you know, had to build that with your stepfather. But describe the challenges there, both from the dad's perspective, but also the teen girl's perspective. Hmm. Uh, yeah, there's so so many things to pack in and out of that. And I really want to make sure to touch on both sides, both for the dads to call you to a high standard of taking your responsibility with your daughter seriously to understand that that you are going to be the first taste that she has of what it looks like to have someone love you unconditionally, to appreciate who you are, to tell you that you're beautiful, to show you what it looks like to treat a woman well so that when she goes out and dates, she's going to know that this guy is not worth her time because mm-hmm. he doesn't treat her the way that you treated her. And on the flip side, I also want to make sure that daughters know that you have the responsibility to let God fill up where your daddy's going to blow it because he is. He just is. He's not perfect. He's not your perfect daddy the way that God is. And so I've I've had both. I I, I feel like I um, wish that especially in those years when I was in the home, I wish that there was more warmth from my father, more of a of a connection there. Um, but I also watched the way that God filled up those holes left by not knowing my biological father and also by the struggles that I had um, with my dad in the home. Um, he was so faithful 
to make sure that I wasn't lacking anything mm-hmm. um, and to help me be confident and all those things that, you know, we point to dads. I feel like there's been a lot of talk in recent years about a dad's role and how important that is. And I'm so thankful for that. But I don't want to put too much emphasis there so that a dad doesn't feel like he has to play God and make sure that his daughter is, you know, understands her worth and her beauty and doesn't go looking for the attention of boys and it all rests on his shoulders or his daughter is going to become, you know, whatever. So, you know, what? let me interject there because I think one of the things and we like simple i mean mm-hmm. guys like simple presence yes a father just yeah. needs to be present yeah and i think if you can aim at that just to be available have those discussions make time to yes. be able to just carve that time out maybe it's 10 15 minutes it's a walk around the block but just let her know you care and you know about yeah. her that's pretty simple yeah it's not complicated yeah. and that means you got to put some things aside maybe not do the work you planned on doing tonight but just give her some of your time. And I think if you do that, your daughter will be generally pretty healthy. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. And again, it's not, unfortunately, our children have this nasty little thing called free will. So you right. could do everything perfectly and it, and it may not have the impact that you hope it will. But I mean, there's plenty of studies that show that that presence and that warmth, that availability do go a very long way in her formation and her identity and also in her, um, in her faith. The other area here, and this will be it for today as we're running out of time, but it's a powerful story with your mom. You and I share that. We both lost our moms to cancer. Um, but we haven't talked about the mom factor. Mm. Um, talk about your mom, what you learned in that setting, uh, the fights you may have had, mm. but more importantly, the love you had for each other. My mom was the wisest and the best. I Mm. am so grateful that she chose to keep me. I'm so grateful that she was brave enough to stick with a marriage that was very difficult for a lot of years. Um, I'm so grateful for her. The thing that I regret most is not the door slamming and the eye rolling in the years that I spent with Mm. her. The thing that I regret most is the apathy. And it, it really has fueled a desire in me to help families understand that change will come. We don't know when it will happen. It could be slow, you know, of them leaving the nest and going off to make a life of their own, but you just don't know how many days you have. And losing my mom, it's been 10 years now, um, has changed how I live today. Life is no longer safe in the sense that I realized that my my stepdad and my in-laws were mortal creatures. Right. And and Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he says, it's better to live in the, in the house of mourning than the house of pleasure, right? It's better to go to the funeral than to the party huh. because it teaches us how to live today. It reminds right. us of, of our end and it reminds us to live today with purpose and intentionality and to make the most of the minutes and the hours and the days and the years that we have with our kids, with our parents, with our siblings. Um, and to do life on purpose. Well, that is well said. And that's really the crux of your book, um, Family, How to Love Yours and Help Them Like You Back. I think that is a perfect place to end. Um, Have the long view and love each other, even through the tough stuff. You have touched our hearts today, Mm -hmm. Jesse. Thank you for your tenderness and for your stories. And to our listeners, if this conversation has sparked some questions or concerns about your own family, we're here for you. Call us at Focus on the Family. We have many, many resources to help you at all different levels. I mean, at the top level, the 101, 
or the 404, you know, the deeper issues that you face. We want to be there for you no matter what, whether that's the counseling team or just the book that can help you steer and guide you in your way. Uh, We want to encourage you and support you. So contact us today. And our number is 800-661-9800, or visit focusonthefamily.ca to learn more. Uh, Ask about Jesse's book, Family, and how you can get a CD or download of the two-day conversation we've had with her. And please, when you get in touch, consider a generous financial gift to this family ministry. We rely on the kindness of friends like you to help us equip and encourage parents, as we've done today. Donate online at focusonthefamily.ca or when you call 800-661-9800. And don't forget about our Brio magazine for teen girls. Uh, If you want to help your teen daughter have an exciting faith-based resource to help her better understand today's culture and relationships and to live out her life as a Christian, Brio Magazine can help. We've got details at the website, but uh, join the tens of thousands of households that receive this terrific monthly magazine. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller, inviting you back as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ. <music>